Hey, Monica. Hi, Jennifer. So this week's conversation is so important. I really want to just get right into it. Tell our listeners about our guest today. Well, we're really excited about today's episode because we spoke with Drew Lanham, who is an author, a poet, and an alumni distinguished professor of wildlife ecology at Clemson University. His specialty is ornithology, which for those of you who may know, refers to the study of birds. As an avid bird watcher, Drew first gained national recognition in 2013. He published an article called Nine Rules for the Black Bird Watcher, and that drew attention to the dearth of diversity in birding, as well as the natural sciences more widely. And it drew national attention to the fact that birding is an escape for a very privileged few. You know, we did finally talk about this specifically in the interview, but there's a pretty famous and obvious parallel we can draw in 2020 with the Christian Cooper incident in Central Park. How, while participating in this really inherently gentle and thoughtful hobby of birding, his status as a black man was completely weaponized against him. I remember this moment full circle because I was there in New York City when it was happening. It was really, it was really upsetting. Yeah, it was a terrible incident. So, unfortunate real-life example of some of the things that Drew speaks about in his article. But in addition to nine rules, Drew is the author of a memoir called The Home Place, Memoirs of a Colored Man's Love Affair with Nature, which was the winner of the 2017 Southern Book Prize, the Reed Award from the Southern Environmental Law Center, and was also named Best Scholarly Book of the Decade. If all those accolades aren't enough to convince you to listen, I'll just add that it's a pretty breathtaking book, and I highly recommend it to all of our listeners. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Drew Lanham. Well, hey, Drew, we're so happy to have you here today. Monica and I are super fans, so we're very appreciative for you to take the time and be with us today. Yeah, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Monica. It's good to be here. Yeah, and there. you're you said you Wherever just you just came from Charleston, and where are you where are you um, right now? I see some antlers above your head. <laughs> <laughs> They're, at least they're not out of my. That's right? good. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm in Seneca, South Carolina, in the Upstate, um, near the near the Blue Wall, the Blue Ridge Escarpment, about a half hour from there, but um, stuck geographically between the metropolises of uh, Atlanta and Charlotte. So, um, kind of in a in a sweet spot um, near Clemson University, where I work. So I'm in a little studio called my thicket which is a writing shack that's become the zoom room oh i love that that's that's where i am this morning i love that i'm also going to start by saying you um you might hear some background noise because i'm actually in my tent (laughs) so you might hear some birds some wildlife i had a squirrel break in last night so i'm just putting that out there (laughs) all right all good it's all good. It's all good. I like that. A squirrel break in. I think that's good. Oh, that's a whole other story, but <laughs> for another time. <laughs> interesting. So, Drew, I'm I want to really start by just you giving us a little background. I mean, we know because we are the super fans, but can you give us a little background about who you are and um what you do? Well, again, thanks for, for having me. I am um at, at my heart, I guess I'm a, a bird brain. Um I I've got lots of labels. I'm I uh, grew up in, in Edgefield, South Carolina, and uh, so that's a, an extraordinarily rural place on a family farm, so that makes me a country boy. Um, I'm, I'm a, a black man, a southerner, a bird watcher, a naturalist, a college professor, uh, a, a poet, and, a, and an author, so I've got lots of labels, I suppose, but ultra, ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm just someone who loves nature. That's my... Um, that's probably my, my, my byline, my, my truest North, 
I guess. Mm-hmm. As uh, as a friend suggested yesterday, she asked me. She said, "Well, what's your true north?" I love that. And and it's loving nature. Yeah, that's that's the true north. That's beautiful. Um, how did you get into it? How did you become somebody who wanted to get into the natural sciences? Was it the time in the country growing up, or you know what kind of drove you? Well, I, you know, I think Monica, it was the yeah that was primary, I guess, and just growing up surrounded by woods and forests, uh, fields and, and streams and all of that was was key. Uh, having parents who were are, were both science teachers, mm-hmm. uh, a grandmother who was was steeped in nature in all sorts of ways and, mm-hmm. and then spending so much time out outside but we depended on nature mm-hmm. in very real ways mm-hmm. i mean daily you know there was food on your plate that came from the soil that you had just walked over yeah so or the the cattle that were grazing out in the pasture so you understood um that you relied even on on the earth to give you the 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 water from the springs that came through our faucets ultimately so that that drove this appreciation that um, that in many ways, quite honestly, as a child, at least I took for granted because, you know, you just mm-hmm. we we were never hungry. Um, we we never wanted for for food of of any kind. Well, I did jelly cake that my mother made. But, um, <laughs> Sounds good. You know, <laughs> Yeah, that that was that was special. But um, that reliance on the soil and water and the things that surrounded us made it um, made made nature a necessity. And so that that was that was at the base of, of all this. But then birds I came to love because of this fascination with flying. And, um, and, and birds allowed me to do that vicariously after I failed at it so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, just this, this almost immediate attraction to this, this sort of ever changing palette of, mm. of plumages that was just always around. Mm-hmm. I mean, red birds and bluebirds and blue jays and, rain crows and cat owls, all of that was mm-hmm. sort of my grandmother's ornithology as I call it. Right. But it came became my ornithology and and it's never that, you know, I've not been able to turn that switch off mm. for loving nature. So it's nurture and nature for me. Do you we talk about a lot, you know, that that so many people around the world, you know, are very disconnected with nature. And and that is, um, you know, one of the challenges of sort of getting people to care about it is because they don't they aren't connected. Right. Whether it's they're not um, they're not near it. They don't get out in it. They don't understand it. Um, and I think birding is something that sort of anyone can do. I mean, even in like a big city like New York, um, you know, Jennifer is, uh, lives typically in, you know, you do have the parks and you can find birds. Um, 
And so when you decided to teach, um, tell me a little bit about like students. I mean, those kids are coming to you with an interest in the natural sciences, but are you finding kids today like connected or disconnected? Because we're always trying to find a way to like, how do we conjure up that understanding of the magic of nature and how do we encourage people to sort of get back outside? But what do you see in your students at Clemson? We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The (laughs) Biophilic Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So you can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Sarah B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. Well, that's a good question. You know, it, it's changed in in our major in in forestry and environmental conservation, um, which is is mostly forestry and wildlife and fisheries. Um, some um, environmental conservation there. Um, those those students formerly were mostly rural white males, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, and and that was that was sort of the archetype. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as as more um, as things got got better in terms of at least some diversity, we began to have an influx of of um, of white females, and and but that's that's largely where it may remains at least with um, now um, a, a close to across the major, um, probably close to closer to. To being even between white males and white females, there's still an amazing and sad dearth of of color. Mm-hmm. So um, of black students and brown students that we don't see, but that that base of students has also changed. That lots of them are not rural. Mm. You know, they they did not grow up in the forests and fields and mm-hmm. wetlands. They did not grow up hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, they they they. Many of them um, grew up on um, on a crocodile hunter, or, <laughs> or, or yeah, you know yeah, that, yeah, that, sure, that was the exposure. 
you know, I, I grew up on Wild Kingdom and Marlon Perkins mm-hmm. and Jim, you know. Yeah, that, us, that us was, too, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a that was very different. It makes me feel old to say that. So I know, I know. <laughs> but it's, um, so that, that base from going from rural to more urban or at least suburban sort of reflects society um, and, and that disconnect from from land but i you know one of the things that i think about in connecting and and as i talk about this overwhelmingly rural upbringing that i had is that the the connection still for me that i that i mentioned at the front end of our conversation was food Mm -hmm. right food Mm -hmm. and water and and clean air to breathe Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's our way in as much as I want others to to love birds the way I love birds or other what I call lesser beasts. Mm-hmm. The um, the the idea that food that we need to understand where our food comes from, mm-hmm. I think it's central to our our reconnecting to the earth. Yeah. So, you know, as people as some people have the privilege of trekking to a Whole Foods or or wherever it may be, mm-hmm. that when you look at a map, we live in the midst of so many food deserts, so many um, people of color and, and rural people yeah. and, and impoverished people don't have whole foods um, to to sustain them. But there's lots of fast food. There's there's liquor. There are all those things that are available that aren't good for you, mm-hmm. at least in large volume. So if if we begin to 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 roll back and think about our basics mm-hmm. i mean we all got to eat mm-hmm. um we we all need water uh, clean water and clean air to breathe yeah. so those 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 students that we get that's part of the conversation even in an ornithology class mm-hmm. that you begin to have i mean you've got to understand what different species of birds are depending upon for um for sustenance mm-hmm. for their lives and to try to connect that to to the students right um so their their understanding of you know uh of of arthropod of insect uh, decline or insect outbreaks that impact some bird species um you know the question that you you can pose to someone you can it's amazing to ask someone where peanuts come from and they not know that they come from the ground right mm-hmm. um yeah that they think they come from trees and that's you know or, or that they not know that potatoes come out of the ground mm-hmm. um and, and and so those kinds of things that's a that's a disconnect yep mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um they, they may not have ever seen most people have never seen their meat blink um right or or, or no or or know that um that that animals die for for us um not only from us us eating them directly but even as we produce those those who don't eat meat mm-hmm. um that that there there has to be habitat that's cultivated um under the plow that takes away that habitat mm-hmm. so there's blood on our hands regardless, but I don't think we recognize that. So trying to connect students in that way is important. And and then we can talk about wildness and we can talk about all these other things. But yeah, food food is the connection, right? I mean, we've all had 
coffee this morning, maybe too much um, <laughs> for me. But, but you know, our, our bellies uh, want to be filled with good, nutritious food. And um, lots of people do not have that option. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that a lot, too, Drew. I'm so glad you brought that up because Monica and I discussed this many times over about our disconnection from understanding the source. And that you're talking about this because I think about even how I grew up in the Bronx, um, you know, I had concrete all around me, but I still had access to a subway to get to a botan- botanical garden or the Bronx Zoo. So I was still exposed to certain aspects of understanding um, in class and my parents. But not everyone was. So like you have to continue that conversation, right, of how do things happen and how do we become interested um, in the birds and in the land? And then once you start understanding where the things come from, that's where like the love of conversa- our conversations around conservation come because you love things and you want them to flourish and you want them to survive and keep going. And I think this constant conversation around why um, we have to have these conversations of love of land and love of soil and air and water is so important from an early age Mm -hmm. until, you know, and like you loved birds as an, you know, early adopter when you were a kid, right? I think I read somewhere that you were like a child when you started loving the birds. Yeah, Jennifer, you know, as long as I can remember. So um, six or before really, and, and watching my grandmother, Eat birds grits. You know, we, mm. I had no idea what, what black oil sunflower seeds were, but I knew what grits were mm-hmm. um, because they were heaped on my plate most mornings. But she would take um, just a handful of handfuls of grits out of the bag and throw them out to the snowbirds, the juncos mm. and, and, and sparrows that were out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that was that was her showing me uh, a love of something outside of her, outside the door, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Outside of her control, really. And that's what wildness is. Wildness is anything out of our control. Mm-hmm. So so when we begin to think about loving wildness mm-hmm. um, and, and loving the air, loving soil, mm-hmm. the water, um, those are th- that word love, that four letter word is extraordinarily powerful. But sometimes it gets lost in all of the other data that we collect mm-hmm. um, that helps us understand the world. Yep. Mm-hmm. But defining defining um, love and affection for we you know we try to do that for one another, but we we are failing at doing that for nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's and it's all and and, th- and those signs are all around us in all sorts of ways of things falling down and. Um, disappearing species and habitats, but also in, in not having clean air and not having uh, potable water mm-hmm. and, and soil um, being poisoned in all sorts of ways. And that's not love. Mm-mm-mm. So those those connections that you and, and Monica talk about, it's all glued together with love or comes apart with carelessness and, and hate for one another and, and for, um, for the land. So that's, that's something when you start talking to students that at least I go down several rabbit holes with it. And, um, and you can tell sometimes you get these looks that, wow, where's this guy going? Did we sign up for love 101 or did we sign up? I love that. (laughs) Well, and I I mean, go ahead. 
yeah so it, you know it's it's just a um it is i mean I, I i love birds i love the land i love wildness um and you know the the hardest sometimes the hardest thing to love is humanity when you see us doing things to one another mm-hmm. um to nature and, and and that's the harder work mm-hmm. but i don't i don't believe that we can can love one and not the other i agree and, and, and be and be authentic about it so i totally agree and and i think it's it's um you know, we come back to this sort of hard truth that we haven't, um, nature is taken for granted. And I think, um, you know, sometimes we take relationships for granted and we don't sort of see the nuances in it. And a lot of, you know, conservationists are trying to, or, you know, even capitalists are trying to put, and I shouldn't separate the two, but trying to put a dollar, you know, our value on nature. Because if Mm -hmm. we start to say, hey, big corporation, when you destroy the downstream because you're, you know, polluting it, you know, you're, there's no consequences for you right now. And we're having those conversations. But until we sort of put a dollar on it or consequences for the individuals that are causing the problem, you know, I, unfortunately, I think, you know, we're going to still have that sort of, um, you know, degradation happening. Um, but but one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because you have this beautiful memoir called The Home Place that you wrote um, about, what, five years ago now, and I think 17, that really explores the themes of nature and belonging in nature. And I think that if we could get, you know, and this may be, again, you know, the love and, you know, it's everybody's like, oh, conservation, environmentalism, it's all hippy dippy. And, you know, you and your, you know, squishy things. But I do think that like belonging, right? Like, how do you grapple with belonging on land? And as a black man, right, where your ancestors, you know, didn't own the land and they were owned, you know, how do you get black and brown people who have been pushed off land and really just truly disconnected from it? You know, how do we bring everybody back in and not let it be the the white guy or even, you know, that's great that women are coming in, but how do we make it for everybody that there's that belonging, you know, and access. Um, and I know that that's something you grappled a lot in your book, but can you just touch on that? I know it's probably, we could do a whole, you know, session <laughs> on just that one question, but I think it's so important about access and equity. And we talk a lot about that with other interviews, but how are you hanging, hanging with that, you know, with your kids or the students, um, and then bringing more, um, into it? Like, how do we, how do we say this is for you? Wow, you know. I'm sorry, I know. I'm like just dropping. Oh, no. Just a small question. <laughs> just a yeah, little. Just, just tiny. Yeah, I know. Tiny, Could you solve that for one. us right now? And we'll. Yeah, here. I, you know, I've got a button. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 part of it, you know, that that legacy I talk about, bittersweet of um, mm-hmm. of sort of of the ecology, as as, as brother Marvin Gaye saying about <laughs> and that that bitter is part of it a large part of it was enslavement of black people mm-hmm. um a large part of it was genocide of indigenous people mm-hmm. um a large part of it is marginalization of 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 so many um non-white people mm-hmm. off of land um and all these ways that are sometimes obvious i mean you know it's 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 obvious for um, for First Nations people, it's obvious for for black folks, enslaved black black people, 
Um, but then there's this insidious continuation of it in, yes. in all kinds of ways. You know, I talked about food deserts or, mm-hmm. or where factories um, decide to to build um, such that communities of color are downwind of toxic flumes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the what's visited upon on us um, as as black folks or as as brown people is in in some ways uh, you know the the worst multiplied. It's compounded by identity by who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that what that the way forward in some ways, at least for me as a Southern black man, is to try to help people understand the importance of the connection and to reclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, to 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 take back ownership um, where you can, um, and and have and you have legal help and 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 those kinds of things mm-hmm. through certain organizations. You know you can work to do that, but then psychologically to reown, to mm-hmm. repatriate your mind mm-hmm. towards land that your ancestors worked for, died frequently on there's the blood sweat tears and toil in the soil that they um have 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 put down for you mm-hmm. so um for example from the point of view of public lands um that that that's land that we all own mm-hmm. um and and land that you don't have deed and title to mm-hmm. to, to even understand what went into that land. So that that gives you then a basis for saying, well, you know what? I do have these his real connections that I don't need to ignore. Mm-hmm. And so when when it's time to speak up for um, a, a piece of land and what happens to it and whether a factory builds there that's going to pay really an unlivable wage and create an unlivable environment for me downstream mm-hmm. or downwind that I need to fight for better, mm-hmm. right? That that I can't sell out again. I was sold out mm-hmm. before with no choice. Now that I have some choice to be a part of a solution that I need to be a part of that solution and not sit on the sidelines. And I got to fight for that. And, and that's, you know, Monica and Jennifer, that's the that's the activist part of conservation that yeah. I think a lot of conservation is uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, you can sort of get this deer in the headlight look uh, when you say, well, conservation is activism. Yeah. People who maybe sure. got into the, this quote unquote business thinking, oh, I'm just going to have to deal with wild things. No, you're you're going to have to manage people. Uh, what people do, the, we're the hardest beast <laughs> to contain. Yeah. You know, um, if we give other creatures a chance, you know, it's amazing what they can do given the chance. Yeah. But for humanity, um, you know, all of these things that we want and that we desire to access, uh, to access and access that, you know, in this Anthropocene, I call the Anthropocene the age of woe. W-O-E, but I also call it, it should be the age of, whoa, W-H-O-A, uh-huh. slow down. Yeah. Right? 
Um, and, and so I say all that to say again, to, to repatriate our minds, mm-hmm. um, that. to, to give, to give ourselves sort of a place, um, in the conversation, not to wait for people to let us in because mm-hmm. it's been proven that they won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you don't just knock on the door, go in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and, and then be and be a part of these conservation conversations that are not just about wild things, but they're about your well-being. Mm-hmm. So take it personal. Oh, I like that. Take it yeah. personally. That's fantastic. Um yeah, it, you know, we have to care. We have to care. Um, you know, and Jennifer and I talk a lot about this. That, you know, we, you know, and I'll say the we, like really me, but like my cohort of like people that, you know, I know, you know, we get busy. <clears throat> I'm using like kind of air quotes, you know, you're taking the kids to school, you're trying to get food on the table, you're do, you know, keep trying to keep your job, you might have to get your car fixed, you know, all these things that are your quote day to day. And then we, stop, I don't want to say we stop caring, but then we forget, you know, we forget that we should all be activists in our Mm -hmm. own way, choosing what that passion is for us. Um, And obviously we're all sitting here talking about nature and we would, we believe that everybody should really understand and care more because without it, we are nothing, right? We are part of nature. And so that sort of goes back to sort of that whole biophilia. And I have like a, a quote, um, from the home it. place that if I can read it. Yeah. Yeah. So can I read it? Just to read <laughs> yes, it. I'm going to read your quote, Drew. Um, yeah, but I thought it. that this was really great to share with the listeners. Um, and um, it's a little long, but I really love it. So to save mm-hmm. wildlife in wild places, the traction has to come not from the regurgitation of bad news data, but from the poets, the prophets, the preachers, the professors and the presidents who have always dared to inspire Heart and mind cannot be exclusive of one another in the fight to save anything. To help others understand nature is to make it breathe like some giant, a revolving, evolving celestial being with ecosystems acting as organs and the living things with those places, humans included, as cells native or cells vital to its survival. And then my hope is that somehow I might move others to find themselves magnified in nature, whoever and wherever they might be. Drew. I love that so much. You know, it this, tears my eyes. this is the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, that is so beautiful. And like, how do we amplify mm-hmm. it? And I think um, I would love to hear more like, how was this book received? And then your subsequent work, because I think you've you've written some really pointed, phenomenal mm-hmm. articles. Um, you know, one was in um, Orion Magazine um, that was Nine Rules for the Black Bird Watcher, and then a Vanity Fair piece, which was about revelations for the Black American Bird Watcher. And I want to say that there is a 2021 piece that was um, noted. Um, uh, or sorry, t- 2020, how am I going to be perceived as a black man with binoculars? I, I yeah. love that because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, as a white woman, I take for granted that I can walk into most spaces and not be looked at as a threat. Um, you know, I may be looked at as lesser, right? Sometimes, but, but sure. I, I can take my binoculars and roll around wherever I am. And I'm probably not going to be, people aren't going to be concerned about me, but I think that that, um, how has your work been received? Cause I think it's super important to start saying 
rethink, you know, rethink, you know, kind of who you are and what your presence is and how you're going about just bird watching. All you're doing Mm -hmm. is bird watching. Sorry, another heavy question. Another heavy question for you. Sorry. Well, well, no, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I appreciate the, the, the space to talk about it really, because it is, um, they, they are heavy questions and there are a lot of heavy questions that we now have to, that we should have been considering for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I, I go all the way back with, with my friends to, um, at Montpelier where I do work, James Madison's Montpelier. And I, mm-hmm. and I always say, you know, it started there when, you know, when a quote unquote founding father was drafting the constitution and you can stand in or sit in where he sat and look out mm-hmm. toward the Blue Ridge Mountains. But in order to do that, as he was drafting this, this document towards the rights of, of free men, quote unquote, mm-hmm. what he was really writing towards the rights of free landed white men. Mm -hmm. Um, And while he was looking over the backs of, of black people, he owned. So, so to, to speak to that hypocrisy Mm -hmm. from um, that historical hypocrisy that defines in many ways who we are, you know, we have to unveil truth. Mm -hmm. And, and the way for me, to unveil truth. My activism is in my writing. Mm. And, um, and, and I see each word hopefully is some sort of step forward in a march towards a greater truth. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that truth is my opinion, but my opinion is life as I see it through my lens, which is tinted black. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in those ways, the, the words and how the work is accepted Mostly positively, I think, but then I, you know, this, this piece that I just wrote for Audubon magazine exposing really the history of who John James Audubon was as a slaveholder. And, you know, this, this this genius, this genius artist, Mm -hmm. but a bad human being, Mm -hmm. he wasn't a good human being, right? You're not a good human being if you own other people. No, if you, if you abuse anyone you're not a good human being mm-hmm. I, i'm not going to excuse that mm-hmm. I, <laughs> so you know when i write those things i i i try to be what i call palms up mm. in in that people understand who i am mm-hmm. that i'm i'm not claiming any sort of perfection or high ground but mm-hmm. this is how i see things sure. so um you know the the book is has been well received much longer than I thought it would from, from back in the day, it seemed so long ago. <laughs> right. but, but, you know, one of the, the interesting things is that I, I get, I get letters and notes um, every, every week, multiples now still from people who will say sometimes, I mean, I remember one note from, from an old white woman out in the sand hills of Nebraska who was um, saying, you know, I know we're different, but but this book also helped me understand some sameness between us. Mm-hmm. And um, and and then um, to get the the notes from from black folks who mm-hmm. say, you know what, um, thank you for writing this for for helping to to bring out um, things that that are important to us. 
that that maybe haven't been said. So, you know, it it, it seems to have had pretty broad reach, um, mm-hmm. and everything isn't positive. But I, part of what I like to do with critique is, <laughs> I you know that that that's a foundation. Um, to help me understand the work that needs to be done. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and it's not a people frequently ask on these, um, on these, in these meetings, they'll say, Oh, well, how can we solve this problem? <laughs> and I'll say, well, it's well, and it's, and it's the, the thing to understand is that it's a process. Yep. There is no end to being better. Yep. Mm-hmm. My my daughter, our daughter Alexis once said, you know, she said, she said, daddy, there's good, but there's always better. And so if we we strive for better, um, if we strive for better, then that means it's the work's never done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that can sound scary because, you know, at some point we all want to, you know, turn off the lights, you know, grab up our work and go home and put our feet up and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we can do that. You know, we can go out and enjoy nature and do what we have to do. But I, you know, it's like now part of what I feel, I feel the absence of birds, you know, the billions of birds that have declined. I feel that absence mm-hmm. and not hearing birds and not seeing birds that I'm used to seeing. Yeah. You know, I feel it when, when I'm on a, on a, on a rice field, looking out over a rice field that black people, <laughs> you know, um, the incredible toil to create, um, this now wonderful wild habitat that at one point in time was money in the mm-hmm. ground for the, the the white people who owned our ancestors yeah and so i can't watch black birds without thinking about black people mm. and and so all of that that comes out in the writing yeah you know the the bitter and the sweet mm-hmm. i want people to understand how much back to that word i love nature um but I also want them to understand the lens through which I view it and to think about their own lens. I don't just want them to, I don't want to, to, to bemoan blackness. That's not what I'm doing at all. I, I celebrate who I am, who we are, mm-hmm. but then to get a, a note from the sand hills or wherever and, and people find a bit, a, a way to unify behind that, mm-hmm. that, that is the greatest feeling from the work, mm-hmm. you know, so, so for y'all to call me, Monica and Jennifer and say, would you talk to us about this? That's an opportunity for, uh, to, to expose, eliminate or uh, illuminate rather, but also, um, and maybe to eliminate misperception, but yeah. to illuminate, um, ways that we can work together to be better, mm-hmm. um, to go from, you know, some bad situations to better. And that's the only way we're going to do it is to have these conversations. Well, also there's this undertone of hopefulness, I think, in your work and what you say in your poems and your your writing and the way you speak to it. There's really this underlying, this web of hopefulness I just mm-hmm. hear in your voice. And it's really that, that, that beauty of hopefulness that binds us together and love love 101 <laughs> and I think that really comes from nature too when we we love we love nature we love one another we want to 
uplift um, and teach and learn and continuously be better. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also giving giving ourselves and giving others grace, kind of like mm-hmm. you were saying, I really like that phrase. I hadn't heard palms up, you know, where mm-hmm. you're sort of coming um, and, and sort of showing, you know, it's like a dog, you know, you, like the dog is not being alpha kind of like rolls over. You're sort of mm-hmm. coming to people saying, I am vulnerable. I don't mm-hmm. have all the answers, but I want to be better. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's what these conversations can do is, um, uh, you know, it's hard to, to talk about some of these things, um, but we need to, but I think people need to know that it's okay to talk about them in a, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be perfect talking about it. You just need to talk about it. Right. Um, and I think that's a big thing that I think about is giving myself grace um, and being OK, being vulnerable and a little insecure about the things, because um, I don't know how to do the things. I don't have all the answers. But but if I can continually seek out and be curious, and I think that's what nature also is like, think about, mm-hmm. you know, nature is just a forever, you know, beautiful, wonderful palette of curiosity. I mean, think of all the things we learn from it by just walking through a trail or a field, right? So um, I think I think grace is another thing. But I do want to sort of um, uh, tack back a little bit to Audubon, because I think as a sort of um, somebody who doesn't, you know, obviously we all know, I don't think anybody doesn't know quite who Audubon is, but sort of bringing up this history of, um, you know, slave owner, um, but also potentially a black man. You know, that maybe he was biracial, but could pass. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an interesting thing that I'd never heard. Um, Mm -hmm. So how is that being received out in the world um, once that um, that article hit in Audubon? (laughs) I mean, I think it's fascinating, right? Like, whoa. Yeah, You know, it's it's been this sort of um, it hit you know it sort of dropped in this this pool and there was this initial wave mm. of oh and <laughs> then and and then now there's this as people find it more people find it there's this 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 other wave of oh of, of <laughs> anger and yeah. and um and and really why would you do that you know how how could how could you First of all, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. But then how could you being an ornithologist, how dare you expose this history that's gone that we shouldn't deal with? After all, we just want to watch birds. Um, yeah. So y- you get some of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's right now it's about half and half, mm-hmm. you know, of, of those people who say, you know, thanks for illuminating this history and helping us understand how you feel and how this impacts you mm-hmm. uh, or, and how you think it impacts how we care for birds and one another. Mm-hmm. And then the other the other half, roughly, are people who, you know, um, I, I, I would say they're not probably asking to be friends on social media. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but, you know, it points to to me again, um, how much work there is to be done that, mm-hmm. um, there, there are people out there who, um, and I'm not telling people not to enjoy birds. And as I say in the article, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm looking at, I turn over my, my left shoulder and I look at my print of 
my Audubon print of yellow-breasted chats. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I know who painted that. Yeah. I know that I know the artist. I know that he was having issues with who he was. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that part of those issues by his own admission um was that whether you know, and Audubon was sort of this 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 infamous exaggerator, but he tells the story of the runaway, right? He tells the story of turning black people back in um to be re-enslaved. So who does that? Right. Even if you make it up. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally. So, you know, I ask people to just sort of take a step back and put it into current context. And no, I'm not going to correct. I'm I'm not trying to correct Audubon and I'm not trying to rewrite history. But for us to understand it, you know, as we talk about monuments, that they're also flesh and bone monuments, these idols that we Mm. put up. Mm-hmm. Um, for perfection. And I look, I don't want to be anybody's idol. I've got, you know, enough issues of my own. Mm-hmm. But for us to understand, for us to go forward and and have some idea why you don't see more people of color maybe out doing the things that 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 we talk about, that we all enjoy. And it's not that that black folks and brown folks aren't enjoying nature, but from sort of this this idea of of what bird watching birding is Mm -hmm. that it can be exclusionary and that there's some stuff baked in. There's some stuff baked in that, um, that, that excludes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go and bird around stone mountain and not, and, and, and to see pictures, to see carved in stone, um, you know, these these confederate these traitors mm-hmm. who 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 seceded from the union so they could keep people my ancestors enslaved yeah it's it's hard to it'd be hard to go to mount rushmore and say huh i wonder how i wonder how it would feel to be Dakota and 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 have these people some of whom were responsible for genocide of your people looking out over your sacred land. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does it feel to be a part of an organization with a name of someone who, um, who painted beautiful birds, but then thought less of human beings than he thought of the birds. Mm-hmm. So, so little of those human beings that they were disposable to him. Yeah. And that's the word that I've begun to use disposable. That, mm-hmm. Enslavement is disposable humanity. Yeah. And and anyone who looks at anyone, I mean, we can talk about enslavement, we can talk about misogyny, we can talk about all kinds of bias. When you have that kind of bias against people to abuse them, you see their lives as disposable. And I can't let anybody like that buy with the past to say, oh, yeah, but he had a big bird list. <laughs> right. He's yeah. OK. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no context history so important and if he was and you know what if he was passing and and we know that there were were black folks who owned other black folks we know that there were these abuses we you know part of what i get is i i I get this this long treatment of yeah but they wouldn't have been here but for the black people in africa who were abusing them and they were better off here than they were there um (laughs) sort of this (laughs) Yeah. Sort of this revisionist rewriting of what 
um, chattel enslavement and institutionalized racism is. So, you know, part of this now, um, Monica and Jennifer, is this, you know, we, we have now we're in this place where people want to call any of this. They say, oh, well, you know, you're one of these critical race theorists. Well, race is critical. (laughs) What I what I disagree with is it ain't theory. It's real. Right. <laughs> you know, um, this is real to me. It's real to a lot of people. So you, you the 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 reviews that I see um, and I, I don't sit and 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 dig deeply into every review that that's that that's a deeper rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But one pops up and I see it and I take it. I read it and I say, OK, all right. Um and then I look at the good one and I say, okay, all right. And it's sort of this, um, you know, it's this, this roller coaster, mm-hmm. you know, as my, my friend, uh, Camille Dungy says, um, you know, these oscillations that we go through mm. and, and oscillations can be tiring. There's these up and downs and back and forth, joy sure. and pain, bitter and sweet. So that's what the article's been, but guess what? I'm going to write more like that. Good. <laughs> um, and um, and hopefully continue to illuminate and and eliminate perception. Yeah, that that these people were worshipable, mm-hmm. which they weren't. The work maybe. Um, it, it's you know, and on a side note, it's interesting to me how many people didn't know that Audubon was killing these birds to paint them. They <laughs> right, right, right. I <laughs> had know. read that at, at some point and thought. Oh, I have, I'm yeah. very conflicted about this, you know, because to yeah, your point, I mean, the outcome, the, 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 it was beautiful work, but like ha- the way he got there, yeah. then we, you know, yeah, and, have, and I'm a, you know, and I'm a hunter, right? So I, I mm-hmm. it's, it's not, um, but, but I'm not just, so, you know, we have to, and, and we look at scientific collections, we look at, we can look at all those things. Mm-hmm. But but ultimately, the sort of cognitive dissonance that people allow to develop between um, demigods and 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 their ideas can create these blind spots, these elephantine blind spots Mm -hmm. that they can't get around. And that's part of what this that article revealed to me just the blind spots that people have. Yeah. Well, and so many people and, you know, myself included, you know, you, you just want to put the blinders on. You want to just get, Oh God. Oh no. If you tell me that now I have to deal with it, you know, because once you know it, yeah. we talk about once you know, you kind of can't know. Uh, yeah. And so, and I, and I think with like um, so much of, um, you know, culture, um, if people don't agree, they want to weaponize it sort of against you, whatever. And, you know, in sort of um, isolate, Oh, it's this thing. So, Mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, it's, Oh, it's, you're doing critical race theory and it's this thing over here. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is history in context and, you know, truth telling and let's have those conversations. And again, I think, you know, as somebody who was a, you know, a kid who grew up in California, um, you know, didn't really understand the South and the history. And, you know, I got a very kind of white bread, you know, you know, pun intended, um, mm-hmm. you know, history of it in, in the public schools. So, you know, mm-hmm. but um, 
so even my kids growing up here in the South, getting um, the education and then just the awareness, right? The way they teach now is so much deeper. Um, anyway, so like Jennifer and I talk a lot offline, just you know, I'm getting my own history redone by seeing it through my kids' eyes beyond, you know, the reading and the education. But um, I think it's super important to keep, you know, for you to keep writing, not that you're, you know, it's like, this is what we have to hear. Right. And then talk about it and say, oh, how does that make me feel? Or, you know, yeah, he was this demigod, you know, Audubon. And now how do we take this information and we can still revere his art potentially, but how do we have a nuanced understanding of who he was and maybe why he even created it? Right. What was he escaping, you know, in his mind? Well, well, you know, again, that's the thing that's interesting to me. Um, You know, talking to an artist friend down in Charleston yesterday and we're working on a project to expose, um, ornithology in, in some of these ways that are mm-hmm. important. And, um, and, and for me, I always tell folks when I stop learning, it's time for my ashes to be in the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, be, because it, it's, I mean, we have this, this capacity um, in, in our brains, hopefully to, to take information, assimilate and, and again, be better somehow after we learn than before. And some of the things that help us learn mm-hmm. are, is it, it's, it's not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if, if all we're depending on is being fed pleasant news, then we're, then we're going to spend a lot of our time in lies mm-hmm. um, in, in myth. And so mm-hmm. this, this mythology um, that, that people and a mythology is important, right? Ask, mm-hmm. ask the Greeks, ask, ask the Romans, ask, Mm-hmm. <laughs> lots mm-hmm. of people but ultimately um i don't think that we can go forward in this whole conversation about quote unquote saving nature because it's really not a question it's really not a, about us saving nature if we really get down to it um humans in the course of of, of billions and billions of years are just sort of again, dust in the wind in the astral wind and, and, and nature in some form or fashion is going to outlast us. And so really this conversation is, is about us saving us in, in this context. It's almost like we're in this giant sort of a terrarium, (laughs) you know, and, and we got to figure out in while we're in this terrarium together, how we're going to live without making it so unlivable that we all that we all perish in this horrific way. Mm-hmm. And 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 you when you put it in that context and understand, okay, you know, um we could we could all be wiped away and 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 things will outlast us. Ask roaches, um, ask lots <laughs> of things, ask alligators. You know, th- those things will will who've been around for much longer than we have, many of them will survive. So so a lot of these questions of conservation and wildness, and, and this is why, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about unsiloing nature, mm. you know, that, you know, and, and both of you brought this up. You know, we're part and parcel of nature. The parcel part is 
that we are just these packages of protein. Mm -hmm. We are just these bipedal apes, um, you know, with 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 certain advantages, at least for now. Mm -hmm. But we've got to understand how to live together. And if we don't understand how to live together in the terrarium that we're in, we're going to perish together. Mm -hmm. Some of us will perish faster than others. But make no mistake, we will all perish. Um, and and so we we our lots are thrown together. But what we're doing instead of understanding our lots thrown together is that that we're hoarding, right? Mm -hmm. We're 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 hoarding um, this thing versus that thing. We mm -hmm. can hoard ideas. Mm -hmm. um, we're better off when we share ideas and, mm -hmm. and come. And we don't always have to agree. I don't. God knows, I don't expect people to agree with me all the time, mm -hmm. but we can agree on, we, we can agree on that. We need clean air. We need clean water. We need clean soil um, that ultimately will share the same fate because we're on this one earth. Mm -hmm. And, and if you look at the cost of, of, of flying in outer space, <laughs> most of us ain't going to be able to afford that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a whole nother uh, podcast. Um, um, <laughs> but I, 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 yeah, I totally agree. It's like we we are a part of it. We we yeah, nature will outlast us in some form. So how do we yeah stay keep it and you know sort of think about like all the things we can save here. Um, and educate people that, yeah, we are a part of it. And if we're destroying it, we're actually destroying ourselves um, mm -hmm. and sort of trying to connect people. And so that's a big part of what we're trying to talk to people about um, and, and hopefully do it in sort of a, you know, a hopeful, um, palatable way that doesn't want people to, you know, put their hands over their ears or their eyes or put blinders on, you know, because I do think that the conversation can be off-putting, um, because so much of it has been negative in the past. And so how do we say, how do we bring the awe in? You, you know, you talked about the woe, you know, the woe, you know, that's another thing. Like, you know, birds, they're so beautiful and just watching them can provide so much awe and wonder. Um, mm -hmm. And so how do we sort of pass that down um, and pass it around? Right. Because it, it's yeah, yeah. next generation, but we have to do our part now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's super important. We all recognize, yeah. you know. Um, well, it's, you know, Monica, it, it to me, it's, um, you know, I've, I've defined conservation as this um, as this selfless act of of love and saving something in abundance, saving something that, so that those people who you don't even know that are coming behind you will have it in abundance. Right. Right. That, that you're, that, that you haven't taken so much that all you leave is crumbs. Right. Um, right. Or, or that the terrarium is so soiled mm -hmm. that those coming behind you will live in worse conditions than you were in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Leopold talked about, you know, the greatest task of, of, of living on a piece of land was, was not spoiling it. Right. And, 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 and when you think about that and all the science that goes into it, you can roll it all back and say, you know what, leave better behind than you found, mm -hmm. leave better behind than you found. And, and some days 
that might ju- that that's picking up a piece of trash instead of walking over it. Yeah. Um, you know, Great. some days that's um that that's having the the courage to get up and look yourself in the mirror in the mirror straight on mm-hmm. and and understand maybe a little better that morning who you are than you were yesterday morning. Yeah. And that there it's small steps. And and it can be overwhelming. I think about back in the back in the old days when we would have these these drills and we'd have to crawl under our desks and tuck our head between mm-hmm. our knees mm-hmm. um, as if that was going to save us from the mushroom cloud. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, that mentality is not what I want to encourage. I want to encourage people, everybody to get out wherever you are to get out, look up um, and, and let a bird, you know, accept that grace of that bird's flight. Mm-hmm. whether it's a pigeon or a peregrine falcon, um, that, that that bird is gracing you in some way with its presence and this unbelievable ability to fly through this ocean of air that we are, are, are dirtying up. And so let's, but it's also the air that we breathe. Um, I don't want people to take a bunker mentality to racism mm-hmm. and, and, and misogyny. Um, and homophobia and all of these biases don't tuck your head down and say well I just don't want to hear about it it's right. bad news because you can't watch birds with your heads tuck, head tucked between your legs you can <laughs> but guess what you're 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 doing it in such a way that it only means anything to you mm-hmm. and that's and that's good. selfish yeah yeah and and what you're telling me is that as long as you see the bird and put it on your list, it doesn't matter if anybody else ever sees it. Right. So, you know, take your binoculars down, untuck your head from that place where you got it mm-hmm. and, and, and see us. Right. Um, and, 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 and see, when I say see us, see, you, you see that, I'm a human being with these 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 joys and pains, these demands, um, the sum of which should not be demands. Um, see us as a collective and then see us as a collective. When I say us, I'm talking everybody. Yeah. Um, that we're all in this together and then see us as a collective of not just humanity, but also the wild things mm-hmm. in this in this system. And then you maybe you begin to get some idea. You know what? <laughs> what I do affects this person or that person or this thing and that thing. And 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 you go through life in sort of a different way. Yeah. Right. You don't you don't go through as if you're the last human on earth and everything only matters for you. It matters for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a beautiful statement. And I want to keep talking to you for a few more hours, Drew, but I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation because you're right. It's all about how we inspire others, um, how our actions really can take hold into other beings. And you're doing that work every day. And I'm so inspired by you and your work and um, your love of birds, because I think in the past year, I have also fallen so much more in love with the birds around me, thanks to COVID, uh, that silver lining of COVID. But 
I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your enduring work and your continued work and your um, teachings of striving to be, we can all be better. Yeah. And thank you for joining so thank us. You. What a joy. Yeah. I know. I want to have like five more hours <laughs> with you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you both for the work you're doing. I, I appreciate the forum. And again, this is a conversation that um, I hope others join, but thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you so Thanks, much. Okay. So first of all, wow. Um, at the end of our podcast, we typically give a pretty call clear to action, such as donate here or check out this fashion label. But I don't really know if we have that same extent here, but I think that's okay. Yes, totally. The lessons that I took away from this conversation were much bigger, like life lessons almost. Same here. What did you get out of it? Well, so we talked mainly about the human relationship with nature and then how race factors into that in a major way. So these are big, difficult issues to work through. And I think the refrain that I would keep coming back to is what Drew said towards the end, leave behind better than you found. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to agree all the time, but we have to be good stewards of the land and of each other. And in many ways, save ourselves from ourselves. Yeah, I think you mentioned this in the episode, but I was also struck by the undercurrent of optimism and hope in Drew's work. The way he writes about birds and nature, he really strikes a perfect balance of being a realist and not not seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, yet also appreciating the beauty of nature and the potential of what could be. And to that point, it's really about saving ourselves from ourselves because nature is going to be here in some form or fashion with or without us. So we really need to do our part to recognize how interconnected we are with the fate of the planet. So, you know, the other thing I think we talked a lot about is this notion of blinders. The Audubon article is such a great example of that. Once I know, now I have to deal with it. Once I see something, I can't unsee it. This resistance Drew received from the article is really interesting to me. It's like the birders version of a Confederate monument or heritage, not hate. In order to move past this ugly history, we have to confront it. We have to see the full picture in order to then deal with it, to grow and then to become better. If you have blinders on, you won't know what you don't know. But what do you do when you do know and you have that information? I love what his daughter said about how there is good, but there is always better. I love that. Okay, so to wrap it up, I would highly, highly encourage our listeners to check out the articles linked in our show notes and to read the home place. I think as we move forward with this biophilic journey, Drew Lanham offers a really important perspective on humanity, race, and nature that we all need to be thinking deeply about. All right. It's a lot for us to sit with. Until next time. See you soon.